how is everyone today? How are you, honey? I am barely alive, Cathers. I got up at 6am. No, I got up at 5 to do... Oscars. Yeah, report for duty at the Telegraph for the Oscars. Ooh, uh, a long, long slog. Well, honeys, we are here. Welcome back again to Straight Up, the podcast where we lift the lid on celebrity culture one drink at a time. Yeah, sometimes two. Today, we are going to be chatting all things Oscars, Ovi. Not too much, though. Don't worry. We appreciate it. It was a little while ago now. So, well, shall we start, babe? Just quickly hit me with who was the best dress and the worst dress at the Oscars. Ooh, so I always prefer the looks from the Vanity Fair party. Mm. Obviously, they're much better. I think Gigi Hadid looked sensational in red. Obviously, Cara looked amazing. <gasps> that was in my favourite look. Gigi, yeah. it was a Zach Posen gown. Oh, was it? I did no. wonder who made that because it looked was quite it? Vivian Westwood um, with the kind of angular neckline. But loved yes, that. Yes, Zach Posen with Jimmy Choo. Yeah, loved Emrata's sheer silver number. Loved Kendall Jenner's dress. Did not like Kylie Jenner's dress. I don't know what the hell that was with the bow. That was I'm not a fan of that. But the metallic one. Yeah, did not like that. Washed her out. Yeah. Why is everyone obsessed with wearing silver and white? Literally, why was wearing everyone white? Why was everyone? <laughs> why was everyone? Why, why was, was everywhere everyone wearing white? I must say, Mindy Kaling looks sensational. I did think, but well, I think if you're not white, you can maybe pull off white. But if you are white, you certainly should never. It's wear just it. unusual because people usually do always go like red, like the carpet, or gold, like the statue. It's not that common that people go white for this kind of event. I have noticed actually recently, I think particularly with like naked dresses, which tend to be like flesh colored or mm. translucent. I thought Anna Darmus, who is a stunning woman, looked absolutely terrible in her washed out gold oh, gown. I quite liked it. And I saw someone call it, I think on TikTok or something, ballroom chic. And I was like, yeah, that's quite an accurate description. But it wasn't even properly gold. It was like, it was like faded gold. Yeah, I thought it was meant to be a Marilyn nod. Maybe, mm. but not hot, not hot in my eyes. Also Michelle Williams, sorry, she wore a terrible white um, Oh, what did she wear? Gown. I didn't think I saw. Just like a shit white dress. I mean, there is so much pressure to get the outfit correct, obviously, you know. It's a difficult one. And I don't know whether you're meant to pander to public opinion, whether you're meant to just go for something you love, whether you have to, like, let the designer run on the, all the couture elements because, you know, that's what it's all about. They're probably doing it for you for free. Also, there's a political aspect. I was reading a piece the other day about how, like, you have to make sure that you're not overdressing for your status in the, oh, in the yeah, night. Yeah. So if you're not up for an award and you're just presenting, you must not try and outshine anyone. Yeah. Have you seen, um, speaking of like slight outshining, have you seen, I mean, she looked sensational. Like this is not a criticism. Did you see what Thames was wearing? No. So Thames had this incredible white, sheer, kind of like hooded headdress like this part of the dress that was like almost like a halo around her head. And it just meant that the person behind her literally like missed the whole of the Oscars. Oh. There was loads of like funny clips about the fact that everyone sat behind her <laughs> literally could not see a thing. Oh my God. Well, I would also like to point out that in more positive news, Kate Blanchett looked amazing. Oh, what was she wearing? Um, And very much, and I don't mean this in a rude way, I mean, but like, dressing for her age. Do you know what Nothing's, I mean? Like, yeah. she was really covered up. How old is Kate Blanchett? Uh, 50s nice like she could wear a very like revealing dress and still look amazing but I thought it really suited her in terms of like elegance it was like a shocking blue like like electric blue like almost like shirt silky shirt with a black gown underneath Ooh. it was just so, like the color on her was amazing I must say I'm all for a naked dress but Hunter Schaffer I'm sorry no Oh, so like, I... I like that look, technically. Do you know what I mean? Like, if that was in an editorialised shoot, I'd be like, oh, that's a really nice skirt, and that top looks great on her. But no, you can't wear that to a red carpet. The internet was going wild. Oh, my God. Also, I feel so ancient, but I always see these things sometimes on Instagram, and I'm like, what does this mean? Someone had posted a picture of Hunter and was like, a mothering has happened. And it's like, is this the whole thing where, like, young people write, like, mummy underneath posts of hot people? Well, there's the whole, like, mother thing. And, you know, how obviously even, like, Megan Trainor's new song is actually Mother with Chris Jenner in the video. She literally just but dropped like, that. It's like another... Why is Hunter Schaefer mother? I guess because it's, like, mother, you know... Like, daddy, like, but for women. Like, you yeah, are, you're I, owning this. Yeah, and also I guess it's just, like, a kind of term of reverence. So yeah, so I'm mothering. But it can be sexualized as well. So I don't know whether with men, obviously, daddy, it's like a sexualized thing. But I don't know with women whether mother is or whether it's just sometimes like a loving. Because isn't it that what all the Lady Gaga fans they call her mother as well? Like oh really? Maybe my friend Cleo always embarrasses me on Instagram because she always writes on pictures of like selfies of me, mummy, M O M M Y, and I'm like, why are you putting that on my page? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, oh and she's trying to be supportive and kind. Yeah. Um, no so. seven year compliment, but um, I don't know what it means. Yeah, because Pedro Pascal. Gal, I literally texted you about this earlier tonight. It's quite funny because he has been exploding with rage because 
well, not explaining with rage, that's a really dramatic way to put it, but <laughs> he was really good-natured about constantly being called, like, the internet's daddy for ages, and he's been really nice about it. He's laughed along. You know, he's talked about it on Graham Norton. He's, you know, been been fair game. And then he just finally hit his limit at the Disney uh, premiere for Mandalorian the other day. And I think it was, like, an Access Hollywood reporter or something asked him to, like, read out this list of, like, thirsty tweets about him being the internet's daddy. And he, like, just looked at them in silence. And the woman was like, can you read out your favourite one? And he just was like, no. And walked oh. away. Oh, my <laughs> He's God. He's obviously just, like, absolutely over it. Which, to be fair, you know, it's created a lot of discourse that I think is, you know, relevant in that if we spoke about a woman like that constantly and we asked them on a red carpet to read out, like, sexually objectifying tweets about themselves, that would be considered, like, really degrading and dehumanising. That's so true. And it is one of those weird cognitive dissonance moments where because he's a man we think that you can just keep pushing it and keep pushing it and the joke will never get tired and actually he would quite like to be like a real human being that's actually acknowledged for his talents why as well is he a, sorry looks. like i literally sound 100 years old today what why is he the daddy uh just because he's like suddenly even though obviously he's had a really long career being in last of us and mandalorian he's kind of having his moment and right. everyone's just realizing how like hot and cool he is he and is he's, hot, like, really fair. trendy like and he's just like you know, he's just a good time. Like, there's always fun pictures of him, like, out in New York with, like, laughing with his sister. Or he just, he kind of just comes across really well and everyone loves him. And so, obviously, also there's the whole, like, memification culture thing that's going yes. down as well. Okay, fine. I understand mm. that. Also, remind me when we talk about Jennifer Lawrence later to talk about the double standards of her new film. Yes. I will forget. Um, talking of awkward interviews, have you seen the Hugh Grant one? And I must play I love it, it for listeners. What? You love it? Yeah, when he's like, it's all just Vanity Fair. But like, then, bless his little British heart. Oh my God, this is such a weird response yeah, I did not expect you to have. I quite like it. I think, like, I like when someone does something that's a little bit against the grain generally anyway in Hollywood. Like, it's so fucking boring. They all have the same cookie cutter answers to the same boring questions. And I quite like that he just wasn't playing Ashley Graham's game. Do you know what? Um, I actually have to say I agree with you because, and loads of comments under the YouTube video. Guys, sorry, I should explain. Hugh Grant went viral after the Oscars for apparently being rude to Ashley Graham, who is former model turned presenter. And um, her questions were quite mind-numbingly boring. But having done red carpet interviews before, you do kind of have to be just dumb on those. Like, they are the they are worst dumb questions. questions. I mean, Courtney Love like annihilated me once on a red carpet for asking me stupid <laughs> What question. did she say? I asked her who she was excited to see perform tonight. And she was like, I'm not answering that. Well, um, Rob Brydon and what's his face? Who, not Jimmy Savile, but who's going to <laughs> play Jimmy Savile? Do not get that wrong. Uh, oh, uh, oh, Alan Partridge, that guy. Yeah. Um, why can we not think of that? He's literally like the most famous he also British comedian. He was also the Top Shop boss. Oh, what the fuck is his name? All like my male friends going to hate me for this because they will love Alan Partridge as well. Um, Steve oh, Coogan. Steve Coogan. Steve Coogan annihilated really me as glad well. That we did not have to Google that. I no. would have been quite disappointed in our journalistic skills. Proof of a good actor. We can remember all of his characters before you remember his name. Yes. Anyway, guys, I'm going to play you the clip because it's quite short, but I just, or just at least some of it so you can hear. Um, okay, this is Hugh Grant. <laughs> I'm just trying to... Ellie is performing a technical feat here. Yes, I'm trying to connect my phone to the mic. Go I say go, that... Go, go! Hang on, it's got, got an Do you advert. know what that reference is as no. well when I just what? said, go, go, go! Is it Star Wars? Listeners, if you know make sure you send a message and let me know that you're one of the real ones who knows all about Hugh Grant's oldest roles because it's a... Uh... Right, shut up, Preppers. What are you most excited to see tonight? To see? Yeah, well, I know that you probably watched a few of the movies. Are you excited to see anybody win? Do you have your hopes up for anyone? Um, not, not, no, no one in particular. Okay, well, what are you wearing tonight then? Just my suit. Your suit? Who yeah. made your suit? You didn't make it. Um, I can't remember my tailor. That's okay. Yeah. Ta shout out to the tailor. Anyway, it goes on in such a way and it, it finishes with Hugh Grant rolling his eyes at poor Ashley Graham. Everyone's saying he's just being very British though. Um, I actually went and looked at some of his other red carpet interviews and he's just kind of like that. Yeah, he's just a bit dithering. He's a bit like, you know, his character in Notting Hill. Like, yes. that's the vibe. Also, I just quite like it. I like that he's a little bit weary. It's actually, like I say, so refreshing to hear a Hollywood star just be a bit over it when yeah. it comes to, like, the Oscars. Because let's face it, it would be bloody boring going to the Oscars every year for 20 years. It would get dull. Exactly. And um, actually, my boss was telling me about an interview that um, one of our writers did with Hugh Grant a few years ago where um, the writer, Matthew Sweet, opened with this, like, very, like, important question about, like, his craft and whatever. And then Hugh Grant just looked at him and was like, mate, I'm just doing it for the money. 
<laughs> and like just like completely shut it down. I think that's kind of his vibe. Yeah, I think he's just not grandiose and he's trying to like shut people down from being too ridiculous. There was a funny bit where Ashley, where um, he makes a joke about the Thackeray novel, Vanity Fair. Yeah, well, she doesn't get it. And, and she's that's like, she's like oh, problem. the after party. Yeah, like he's <laughs> talking literally Vanity Fair meaning. And she's like, well, we all go to let loose and have fun afterwards. So I feel like that starts the whole conversation off on the wrong foot. Yeah, so you can see that he loses respect for her yeah. there and then, unfortunately, which is quite pompous of him, I have to say, but still. But also you're hosting the red carpet like for Vanity Fair. Surely you would know the meaning of Vanity Fair. That's true. And I think also you should adapt your humor to his. And he has a very dry, sarcastic humor. And she just was I mean, like- she's very American. I, to me- She was over American. It's just a bit of like a culture clash in terms of the British and the English. You're right. Well, as someone who has been on receiving end, I feel total empathy with Ashley, but also love, respect, Hugh Grant. Yeah. Big dick there. Um, so I would like to speak about The Whale. Yeah, because I watched it over the weekend in. Um... Oh, firstly, Cathars, I just want to see whether you were offended by the Banshees of Inisherin because it's got so much um, flack at the Oscars, particularly with all Jimmy Kimmel's anti-Irish jokes. As an Irish woman, did you find the film offensive? No, not at all. Since really? it's like made by Irish people, set in Ireland, like they have far more claim over the Irish spirit than any, you know, um, like diaspora member might however i didn't like that film full stop i thought it was really dull and really bleak and a bit relentless and i do have to say and perhaps i can caveat this by saying because i am irish i am allowed to say this because of their very dark colonial history and perhaps also the catholicism in some part their literature and art can be relentlessly dark i did the whole irish i had like a whole module module on the irish novel at uni and generally speaking there's quite a bleak vibe going on with much of the Irish arts. And I felt yes. that a lot. To be fair, there's a new film that's apparently very good called The Quiet Girl, which is Irish language. And it's all about Ireland's historical um, abuse of children. Yeah, well, <laughs> But I did read a piece from one of our Irish writers who said it was like super caricaturing with like everyone's always in the pub mm. and sad. And there's like animal abuse. And... But it's, that's what I mean. It's like, I feel like every like Irish like so actually that's just thing. yeah that's always, that's always how it is <laughs> like know. if colin firth isn't in isn't offended by the film Fair. yeah i always get them wrong i always say colin, firth. colin that would be funny that that's... would be hilarious <laughs> i always get their names mixed up colin farrell wasn't offended by the film nor were the rest of the cast you know what i mean yeah and martin mcdonough's irish is he yeah not? yeah well um but yeah, i would have to say don't bother to watch that film i haven't watched it yet so maybe i shan't don't Okay, I won't. However, I do recommend seeing The Whale only so that you can join in to the debate around it. As a film, I didn't love it. So The Whale, guys, is Brendan Fraser's big comeback. He hasn't been on in the big screen for 12 years because he essentially retired from cinema because of issues to do with, I think he hurt himself a lot with stunts. So he's the guy that's in Tarzan. No, yes, Tarzan yeah, and The, the Mummy. Um, some other things. But he maybe was like a kind of well-known Hollywood heartthrob type about 15 yes. years ago. Yeah, exactly. And then his work just completely dried up. I think he's been doing TV work. Anyway, it's his big comeback. Uh, and he plays a morbidly obese man called Charlie, who is essentially grieving. He left his wife and daughter um, because he was gay and he went and had an affair with a younger male student. And then his partner took his own life. This isn't a spoiler, this is like the setup. Mm -hmm. Take his, his partner took his own life and so Charlie is left like completely alone, estranged from his family with no partner. He eats, I think, as a way of dealing with that grief. And then he clearly doesn't really have a will to live anymore. So eats himself to the point of where he is clearly dying and he knows oh he's God. dying. This sounds yeah. awful. Yeah, so the whole film is in his very dark apartment. We actually don't leave the apartment. So the whole two hours is in the apartment, which I found very claustrophobic, but I think is also direct meant reference. Meant to be. Yes, it's meant to be. Because he's not able to leave the house and he doesn't, he's not able-bodied. And so it's, you're giving you the claustrophobic experience. Exactly, of actually being in his mind. Also, it's quite, um, it's quite like stagey and it's adapted from a play. So I think that's also what they're kind of referencing. Anyway, so we see him quite frankly eating himself to death all the while trying to reconnect to his, with his daughter who hates him. like fully despises him for leaving her. Uh, and she's played by Sadie Sink. But 
Uh, despite having a six minute ovation, standing ovation at Venice Film Festival, and everyone said that Brendan Fraser would win Best Actor Oscar, which he did. Um, there has been a huge amount of controversy and criticism uh, from people who would describe themselves as fat. Fat has been like reclaimed as a positive word. I always feel weird saying it, but it has been reclaimed as like a positive word. You can say like fat people in a non-derogatory sense, I think now. Um, so Roxanne Gay, who is one of my favorite writers. I think I gave you one of her books, but yeah, it's you your did. birthday. Um, but her, I didn't give you Hunger. I think I gave you Bad Feminist. Yeah. But Hunger is her memoir from 2017, which I really recommend you reading. She basically talks about how when she was raped as a child, she used um, putting on weight as like a defense mechanism. She actually said, I wanted to create a cage of my own making. I wanted to feel like a fortress. So that's why she ate. Anyway, and she said, she wrote a review of the film the new york times that um it was a freak show essentially that brendan fraser's character is grotesque and that you're meant to just be disgusted at him rather than have any real empathy she says it bears little resemblance to the lived experience of fat people it was clear that the directors considered fatness to be the ultimate human failure something despicable to be avoided at all costs she says the reasons why, for instance, are because we see like him like profusely sweating the whole time. Like right. there, are, um, there's he only wears a t-shirt and shorts. He uses a walker to like he can't walk on his own. But wouldn't that just be like a factual, well, like, drawing of someone who has eaten to that point? So it's that classic thing of I watched it and then read quite a lot about it, and it's quite difficult to extricate what I actually think versus like the conversation around mm. it. My initial thoughts were like, this is just a boring film. It's a boring film. It's a dark film. Like it's a sad, depressing film when nothing much happens. I didn't particularly like Charlie Brendan Fraser's um, character. I thought he was. I thought he actually lacked depths. You don't actually see him ever contemplating or thinking about the choices he's made or how he feels like he's just obsessed with the fact that he just wants to give this money his he just wants to like provide for his daughter and reconnect with her and that's the only thing that matters to him but he just comes across as like quite simple and like with no interiority and his daughter comes across as like the most evil thing in the world she like screams at him you're disgusting and I want you to die and I don't care you know it's just it feels like this like religious conversation about good and evil and there's this whole religious theme about this guy that comes in and wants to help him go to heaven i think it wasn't a good film just generally and is the film drawing a comparison between fat and evil is that the vibe uh, yeah i think the, the very on the nose message is look beyond like the flesh and see the goodness of people underneath whether that right. be his daughter who is being openly horrible to him but actually has a good heart or charlie who looks disgusting and he keeps challenging people who come into his flat, like, I know you think I'm disgusting. Tell me I'm disgusting. And they say, yes, you're disgusting. And then they'll- My God. Yeah, but it's just like, I, I don't really, there's not much more to it than that. Yeah, I so, feel like, what does the viewer come away with having learned from this film? I think the, the mess- yeah. obvious. The, yes, it's like, yeah. oh, wow, there's more to people than what meets yeah. the eye. Which and I shouldn't judge a book by its cover. Yes. Oh my god, revolutionary! Exactly. I didn't find it particularly deep, and also I found one um, one reviewer pointed out that like he's kind of made to seem as if he's this like martyr saint who just he doesn't want to he doesn't want he refuses all medical help he refuses to go to hospital um, because he wants to save all the money for his daughter, and um, a reviewer who I think identifies as fat said like. Most research shows that that is not the reason why fat people don't go to hospital. It's not like some selfless martyrdom. Uh, it's because- like shame. Yeah, it's because doctors treat them terribly, like historically and always have. So it's just like, they will get shit treatment. And I think one of the major issues as well is that Brendan Fraser wore a fat suit, which um, has been a Hollywood tradition for years, ever since like Eddie Murphy, I think started wearing them. Like, what was that, 30 years ago? And the Nutty Professor. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. I think that is the first example of a fat suit in, in really? the way, yeah, I think I looked it up on Vulture. That's interesting. Um, I used to love those films. Yeah, they are fun. I think Murphy's great. Anyway, it was 21 stone, the fat suit. He's playing a 42 stone man. Um, and it's so heavy that they had to install like an ice cooling system in the back of it. Brendan Fraser said they used the fat suit because, well, obviously he couldn't put on that much weight. He says that it would like have crippled him, I guess, to put on 
that many stone. Um, and also he wanted to be able to understand what it felt like to shift that much weight as a fat person. Actually move around yeah, because, in that body. Yeah, he was like, actually it made me realize that people who are that that heavy have to be really physically strong because you're it's so difficult to move around. Um, so he felt that it was essential to wear a fat suit to like bring that. What about other people think that the fat suit is out of order? I think fat suits are just gen are just generally associated with like fat people as punch bags. Yeah, yeah, and it's um, like the kind of comedic. I mean, yeah, Nutty Professor. The use of the fat suits is definitely, in hindsight, actually really quite mean spirited in a way. Like you can tell that the larger like characters, i.e., Eddie Murphy in the fat suit, are always the butt of all the jokes, and their size is meant to be just inherently hilarious. Yes, and I think you like Shallow How, Gwyneth Paltrow's fat suit, Monica and Friends' fat suit. I think fat mm. suits as well have not historically been very well done. It's like obvious they're wearing a fat suit. I must say this is kind of a boring side note, so I won't go too much into it, but surely they could do it on a bloody green screen or using some kind of like special effects than an actual physical suit. Like Maybe. we can turn people into like Gollum and like Caesar and Planet of the Apes, but we can't turn someone into looking a little bit larger than they actually are. Yeah, there's probably very good reason for it but I mean well I guess in Brendan Fraser's case he literally wouldn't have been able to look like he was walking like someone who had 600 pounds on him so I do understand it from that point of view but some people have pointed out like okay well why didn't you get um an actor who was prepared to put on that much amount of weight because look at Christian Bale when he played the machinist he lost 25 kilograms to play that role yeah but even so I would say it's kind of a different thing I'm not saying that that kind of weight loss is healthy but that's one person one time like one of the actors that's known to be the biggest method actor Absolutely, you should not have to put on 22 stone to play a role for a year. Yes, I agree. I don't think that anyone should put that much strain on their body for a role. Absolutely not. But I also... Do you know how hard it would be as well to put on 21 stone? Like, chronic overeating like that is actually an eating disorder. So, like, it's an illness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't just put on 21 stone by having a few extra McDonald's and a couple of, like, extra bags of crisps. Like... But Christian Bale, he went down to 200 calories a day for four months. He had an apple... cup of coffee and some whiskey and smoked a shit ton and he was celebrated so much and like Hollywood was like wow what an amazing physical transformation but it's like oh my god he could have developed anorexia he was anorexic for four months essentially and also people do think he's nuts now because of that nuts but Hollywood does reward that they respect it but he's definitely considered to be like far out with his method acting and a bit weird. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. It's not like held up as like the thing that every other actor should do. Yes. George Clooney was actually attached to direct it and because um, there wasn't a 600 pound actor they could cast, he refused. So he would only do it if he there was Ooh, someone that's that was- really interesting. Really interesting, isn't it? Not what yeah. I expect of George Clooney. Yeah, but that's so true actually. It's more that why would a traditionally or conventionally slim actor have to put on the weight? Why, surely there are actors out there so my index be my scale darren aronofsky who who directed the film said that they did look for actors that size they couldn't find any that could convey the emotional depth mm. of the character fair enough to be fair there aren't that many morbidly no, actually, obese it would be actors. counterintuitive wouldn't it because the whole thing that hollywood like derides is being overweight so if you're going to be an actor you're going to make sure you can do everything within your power with which to yes. be slim there probably are a few but they're probably i don't know also the other thing that's obviously quite a massive thing is that the whole point of Brendan Fraser's character is he is dying he's unable to walk he dies yeah, in so the space of three days so my god I mean I don't think anyone would be in a fit position to yeah do that, yeah it's like on that real extreme end of the scale yeah that... like they should be he should have been in hospital so any actor that size I would assume is probably very very unwell yeah. cannot be filming I mean Obviously, I haven't seen the film, so I can't really speculate too much. But at the end of the day, if that's how Roxanne Gay feels, I think, like, you know, yes, she's very well-placed to comment on it. And definitely. be the, the correct reviewer. So if, if she felt that it felt... Yeah, if she, if she felt it was a spectacle and a freak show, then I would, I'd be inclined to agree with her. Yeah. Well, although, what I will say is that the director did consult with the Obesity Action Coalition. Um, so Thank I, you I don't know for that very <laughs> crucial piece of information. There. I don't know, how, and also there was one scene actually that I thought was pretty good. So one scene that has, I actually don't know like how legit that company is. Um, I just um, love how ser- listeners, if you saw the seriousness Nelly's face, <laughs> she just. <laughs> just let me know that I think that's my like thank you I'm sure there's something I forgot but I must remember face uh, but the last thing I'll say on the whale is that there is a scene that in particular everyone has been really upset about well when I say everyone people who are against the film generally Roxanne Gay included is this scene where he binge eats and um, 
the film like turns up the foley audio so you can really like Ooh. hear every like lip smacking moment and he gets grease all over his face and he's like shoveling anything and everything into his mouth who's the writer of the film is the person originally that wrote this story overweight because i feel like that is huge huge part of this tale no the i think he's called sam hunter the playwright he's not overweight but he was is gay so um they've got half of the lived experience there <laughs> but that was right that was actually one of the um one of the objections but i would say the whole gay part of the storyline is actually somewhat subsumed by the weight narrative That's a little pun there yes <laughs> accidental the guy from bros guy branham said that the film used extreme fatness as a metaphor for gay pain oh okay in a bad way he was very upset by the film oh, oh. yeah so I do think there's a two, there's a two pronged ire towards the film, which is the fact that Brendan Fraser is not gay and is not fat, and they should at least have one, if not both. You know, I mean, Hollywood is just absolutely like tying itself in knots over lived experience. At the it moment. really is, isn't it? Um, but yes, what I was going to say was there is this scene, this scene where he's been eating, and everyone has said it's grotesque, and and I do not have lived experience of binge eating on that level but as i've spoken before on this podcast when i was bulimic binge eating is part of it and it did feel like quite accurate to me like this sheer like physical exhaustion of eating that much and then being sick straight afterwards and just like being just literally anything things mm. that don't even go together making sandwiches with like the worst ingredients and not not even bothering to put it together and it was just like horrible and exhausting to watch but i would say that is that, probably true to the experience yeah it felt yeah. quite true to me and i was like well it is meant to be grotesque and you do get grease all over your face and you do look disgusting that's the whole thing as well isn't it like we're saying like this poor man is suffering from an extreme 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 eating disorder yes and yet that's not really being recognized it's more as if it's like like we say like a kind of a personal choice or a lifestyle or a moral failing on the part of the individual. I mean, maybe that's what it's digging into, isn't it? Because there is this big societal connection between morality and weight. Yes. And um, I think I think they don't, they, he's definitely a selfish character. I think they wanted to show him as neither like a saint, neither deeply flawed and neither a punchline. But I think mm. what happens is he's just not very much at all. It's really interesting as in a, the... Jonah Hill film about his therapist starts, yeah. which is on Netflix. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. It's like basically a documentary film that shot over like several sessions where Jonah Hill talks about himself, but also it's about starts who's this very preeminent um, psychotherapist about his like tools and his life and all the rest of it as well. But Jonah Hill does touch on his weight and how much in his life he has basically felt that he was wrong or bad for society growing up as an overweight child and how it deeply oh. impacted, like moralistically, how he felt about himself. Oh my God. Yeah, and, and he brings his mum in at one point. Um, the mother, that is in Jonah Hill's mother, is comes into a therapy session to like discuss these kind of... Like basically to, to to talk about how her attempts when he was a child to help him lose weight actually impacted his adult relationships with women and how being an overweight child, yeah, made him feel inherently bad. And these messages from society and his mom were saying like, you're not good enough how you are, you have to change. Mm. And he basically feels that like all this work that he's had to do over like however many decades and especially all the unpacking around like the fame piece in terms of scrutiny and how much people are like looking at you and how yeah. much that all triggered all his childhood stuff when everyone was looking at him and talking about his way and like even when he lost weight everyone was like yes. oh my god he's had glow up you know like it's just kind of like he's really really had to try and like detangle how he feels about himself as a good or bad person yes yes i think that is quite relevant actually and also quite interesting back to what i was saying with roxanne gay mm. the fact that like she did that on purpose because she didn't want to be seen as attractive to society. Mm. So that's also like... And it is, it is I know I literally keep banging on this, but to eat like that is self-harm. It's not a choice. Definitely. It's an illness. And actually we should have like incredible compassion for people Absolutely. who suffer like that. And I think that being that overweight is just as much of a serious illness that we need to pay attention to as anorexia. Definitely. But Definitely. for some reason, as you say, we have far more compassion for people when they're thin. Even like with the Christian Bale thing, we yeah. have way more compassion for that actor. Yes. You know, like something about thinness is inherently good to us. So true. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, basically you come away from that film being like, what was the point of, I guess it is a spectacle because if mm. the message is really obvious and something most people knew already, which is of course fat people that can be beautiful, wonderful people, then what is what was the point of that whole spectacle? Is it just mm. a spectacle? Anyway, let us talk 
about something more fun, which is Paul Mescal and Aftersun. Gosh, well, I'm sorry, you say fun. Oh, well, actually. Um, I... Did not love that film. I, Again, you're the I only like person to say that, but you're the only person I've heard say that. Yeah. apart from me. And we're I, aligned. We, we don't we are often never aligned. My mom like loved it. I just thought it was really, really boring, really slow moving. Obviously, he's super cute as a dad. Like, love that for him. Obviously. But yes, boring. I thought it was a pedo film at first. Well, when, we when, know about your. <laughs> oh my god! Here I go again. <laughs> when my boyfriend and I were watching it on holiday, we were like, "Oh my god, is it like about some pervert and his young daughter?" It almost does feel that something's going to happen. Like something sinister is going to happen. You every, kind of wish minute. it does. You kind of wish it would because nothing happens at all. My my boyfriend and I were watching it, and um, <laughs> you know the scene where they go scuba diving or paddling not paddling uh <laughs> snorkeling and there's like quite a handsome instructor that passes uh paul mescal's character the uh, equipment and my boyfriend was like oh oh this is it it's gonna they're, they're gonna get it on and oh so we were like become a gay love story yes and then no he just they no, just go he just go, happens to be good looking go snorkeling and that's it and i was like great back to nothing happening again I wonder why everyone else loves it so much. Are we literally just Philistines that don't understand the true beauty of art house cinema? Well, I have thoughts on this, but Cathers, why don't you sum up what the film is in the few words that it deserves? So it's basically about a father and a daughter on holiday together. Have they gone to France? Turkey? France? Turkey, yeah. Because they're in a carpet shop. And it's a kind of uh, resort. He drinks too much. Paul Mescal being the father. The daughter's, what, probably about eight? Yes. And so... They go on this holiday. They have a really beautiful relationship. It's actually really cute, that, I suppose. But, yeah, not much happens. And the daughter kind of runs around the hotel on her own half the time while Paul yes. Mascal gets slaughtered yes. by mistake. She's kind of kind of having a... She's kind of finding herself, Yeah, it's like she? a little coming-of-age sort of tale. At times, I felt like I was watching, like, someone's really boring home videos of their time away yes. on holiday. That's how it Yes, felt. there's very much that. Yes. Um, and in fact, you watch them recording their own holiday and then you watch their recordings of their holiday. Yes. So <laughs> I think it's got that annoying overhype of the fact journalists have all given it like five star reviews. And now it's like cool to say that you like After Sun and it's like the arty, yeah. slow film. That I feel everyone... like deeply uncool for saying that I didn't like it. No, let's both let's say it without own it. Yeah. I also think and this may be controversial as much as I love Paul Mescal I think everyone needs to chill the fuck out I mean I do love him but I know what you mean my fever for him was much more heightened around normal people and after whereas now I'm like okay yeah he's great but like he's not that great he was nominated for best actor uh which I thought was unhinged for after sun yeah I mean it does beggar belief slightly doesn't it (laughs) (laughs) why I don't know um, but then again, I don't think Brendan Fraser should have won for Best Actor either. I must say, as a side note, you know how you sent me that like fun newsletter earlier, which I've oh, never yes. heard of, which we should I should actually check the name of. because Gossip Time. Gossip Time. I mean, how fun. How By do... someone. Yes. Hunter. Can't remember the name, I'm afraid. No. We'll have to pop it in the show notes. But she actually mentions in it that, and I had not heard this before, so I was like, this is a good source of gossip, that Phoebe Bridges allegedly left Paul Mezcal for Bo Burnham. Oh, no, I didn't know this. I did not know that. Yes, and they... were engaged, I thought. Like, yes, Everyone yes. was going, great guns, and then suddenly they were over. This episode is sponsored by Huel. Okay, so guys, today I want to talk to you very quickly about Huel Black Edition, a high-protein, super-convenient meal that is literally my saviour when it comes to squeezing in exercise and healthy eating around work. I'm sure I'm not the only one here that struggles with having time during the working day to make a nutritious meal. I optimistically did hope before I went freelance that I would have more time, but obviously that has turned out not to be the case. So, in order to optimise my working day, I would tend to either buy a ridiculously expensive salad if I'm trying to be healthy, or just buy some, like, crap, quick junk food. God, I know, and I literally do not have time to meal prep in the evenings. I've tried so many times, but I never seem to be able to fit in. So Huel literally solves that problem so well. It really does. It is the ideal solution. Every Huel meal has a massive 40 grams of protein and 26 vitamins and minerals in just a 400 calorie shake. It's made of all these whole food ingredients like rice, peas, and flaxseed. It's totally vegan. Literally all you have to do is add water and shake. I blend mine up with ice and it's only £1.68 per meal. I've always personally really struggled with breakfast because I would tend to just not eat anything, feel really sick later in 
the day. I'm juggling so much from writing to editing to recording. So it really helps me be super disciplined with my time. And Yule means it's just one less thing to worry about. Very sensible, I just love it. I just really love how quick Yule is in particular. I've told listeners this before, but it is so useful just to be able to grab my shaker, put in some powder, add some water, and shake it on the way from the gym to the office. It also means I don't have my sugary crap cereal at my desk, which I used to. Um, so I feel so much healthier now that I've started my Yule journey. Also, fun fact, Yule has over 160 health benefits in every shake from all the vitamins. It's got iron, vitamin D12, vitamin C. I mean, you name it, guys, the vitamin's in there. So... Do join us and get your free t-shirt and shaker at huel.com slash straight up. That's H-U-E-L dot com slash straight up. I must say though, Bo Burnham, and this is a massive side note, I do think he is quite strangely attractive. Yes. Like, you know, he he's definitely not conventionally attractive, but you know his film, I can't even remember what it was called now, but the one... They put on Netflix that was like all done in yes, lockdown from his home. Inside my head or something. Yeah, I actually really liked that. That I liked. That was wacky. I hated that was fun. it. Oh, it had music in it. It oh, did God. have music. It I did. hate anything that's like musical. Yeah. Well, you know me, I, I usually hate a musical, but this, because it was just him, it wasn't like, you know, an entire like streets worth of people like breaking into song and dance in tandem. It was just him in his bedroom. So kind of worked for me. That was another thing of, it was cool to say you really liked that. Right. I found. Interesting. Um, I would like to say that I think the Paul Mescal thing has become like the T- Timothy Chalamet hype of like mostly driven by young women who are obsessed with oh, him definitely. on an internet level. But it's as we've said before, I'm sure with guests, young women run the bloody they run entertainment the show. industry. They like, do. Oh my God, that's In a so really true. weird way. Like the female <laughs> fans, like if if, they all, if a female fandom gets behind you, you're sorted. Oh my God, that's actually so true because I watched Elvis um, the Baz Luhrmann biopic starring Austin oh, I'm really excited Butler, to hear about this. who should have won for Best Actor. And that's the whole thing of the film. And it's basically told from the perspective of his really, really evil manager who's like rinsed him Is that why he like died penniless and all that kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his whole message that's like voiced over by him, played by Tom Hanks, also in a fat suit, looks preposterous, bad fat suit. Um, and he says like, I didn't kill Elvis, you did. Or like the love that you had for him, as in the fans, right. he had for you, killed him. Because, and it's that thing we've talked about on the podcast a lot, is that you can't, um, you can't recreate that adoration that you get on stage in normal life. So yeah. you turn to pills and drink and you can't stay with your partner and nothing satisfies you. Nothing beats the adrenaline. Yeah, so you just, like, you can't survive. Well, obviously the Beatles were... Yes. Propelled to fame by women. There's a Catelyn Moran second novel, not How to Build a Girl, but the one after is basically yeah. all about that. Uh, in a way, that's like the, the Ooh, general. Interesting. Uh, it's specific to the music industry. Yeah. She's like young women, literally are considered to be like hysterical, ridiculous teens, but actually they're like the fire that drives forward like all the major acts. Yes. Like Elvis became big because people, well, his manager watched the way that he made women feel. The manager says like, I saw in a young woman's face that she was feeling things that she knew she wasn't meant to be feeling. And Ooh, they just his like hip wiggles or whatever. Yeah. I saw that little clip where everyone's like, all the women are like screaming and it's like literal hysteria. I was like, was it actually like that? Yeah, it actually was. Um, and I, just a quick thing on Austin Butler, go and listen to his Mark Maron episode. Ooh. Because I don't genuinely like Mark Maron because I find him a bit of a mental interviewer. Yeah, it can be a bit much. Like this. Yeah. Oh yeah, and where were we born? And what did your parents do? And it's like, oh my God. Very impressive, but yeah, very impressive. it's not really our vibe. It's a bit no. more like, Mad middle-aged man vibe. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. Um, but I would just listen to it because Austin Butler has the sexiest voice ever. He still has Elvis's voice. Yeah, why is everyone talking about this? Because I, so reference guys, this weekend, both Elle and I were a bit hungover on Saturday and we were sending each other like videos that were making us cry. And Ellie sent me the video of Austin Butler doing his SNL like skit, but with yeah. a little like kind of um, Monologue. homage to his mother. I had no idea how like gorgeous and adorable and just like he's wow. our age. I'm like, I love him. He's so hot. I'm so late to the party, but I'm quite I'm late obsessed. to the party. I've only Are become we? obsessed this Are weekend. We like literally like a year late than everyone else. He'll... Well, no, because be fair, the film's only just come out. I haven't even seen it yet. So yeah, and he hasn't really been in much since this is his breakout role. Yeah. Um. So he'll probably go full Paul Mescal, won't he? Uh. But anyway, he essentially has always been obsessed with Elvis and he spent two years studying him he had did nothing else because normally with actors you're juggling at least like two films he did nothing else just prepared to be elvis 
for four months he prepared for the audition doing nothing else so like he was so into it he learned how to dance like Elvis to move like Elvis how to speak like Elvis to the point where he said his muscle memory has changed the way he, he his mouth is positioned has changed and he can't get rid of the voice now oh is that why because I keep seeing like stuff about it online and yeah. people being like is he just milking it is he doing it on purpose and he mentions it in that SNL skit yeah. doesn't he he's like well I just keep speaking like Elvis you actually do so sound like <laughs> yeah exactly and also Mark Maron says that um, they both talk about how like Al Pacino never really stopped being his character from Scarface so I feel like it's possible that he could just get stuck like this forever interesting but it suits him um, so to the point where Elvis's ex-wife Priscilla when she watched the film one of the first early screenings she didn't know which bits were archive footage and which bits were Austin Butler Whoa. that's what she said I know mental it must have been imagine losing your husband in that way because uh, essentially she was madly in love with him but Elvis cheated on her all the time and was actually awful to her something the film kind of does not show um, and then he died um, of a heart attack from misuse of pills so I think she must feel like oh my god like you must kind of almost be attracted to I mean you'd be attracted to Austin Butler anyway but like there must be weird feelings there when you see really strange someone being... that is essentially your husband I mean how much of a hot couple of him and Kaya Gerber as well. Oh my God. So Pick hot. of them at the Vanity Fair party at the Oscars. Oh, oh my like God. They just look so great together. He sounds also like just a really decent guy. Like really nice. Anyway, so this is the other thing that he felt very tied to Elvis about. They both lost their mothers at 23 years old. And that's something that like Austin felt very much like linked him like viscerally with Elvis to the point where after he stopped playing Elvis, he said he had a mental breakdown, which is, um, he said he didn't know who he was anymore. Because he'd like, thought he was Elvis by this point, basically. Yeah, Annie Taylor-Joy said to me as well, like she had so many different characters and put herself so, immersed herself at each one that she no longer knew where her characters ended and Anya began. And I think it's the same with Austin. He was rushed to hospital. He actually also had a physical breakdown. He just collapsed the day after he finished filming. Definitely that means that you've overstretched yourself and there should be better protection in place to stop actors going that far. But the fact that he spent two years learning how to be Elvis, like to the point where his voice has irrevocably changed. And then he loses best actor to Brendan Fraser, who just put on a 21 stone fat suit. Oh yeah, so you think he'll be a bit salty about not getting best actor for this? I think he's too kind to be salty, but it's just Secretly like, so. what did Brendan Fraser do? He like put on his performance, like physically put it on. Oh yeah, do you know what I mean? like, And would you say that Elvis is an Oscar worthy film, all in all? I didn't like the film, but I don't like the overly stylized. Yeah, I feel like a Baz Luhrmann yeah. film isn't necessarily your vibe. No, it's a bit mental. It's a bit musical theatre. Yeah, but I love Moulin Rouge. Love Moulin I've Rouge. I've never seen it. Oh my God. Oh, I'm so- oh you okay. sounded like Jennifer Coolidge in White we Lotus must- just must. Oh my God. I cannot believe you haven't seen that. That is literally crazy. I know. We must watch that. We must watch that. And it. then report back. It's literally one of my all-time favourite films but ever. But won't ever. I hate it? Because isn't it singing and dancing? Well, it is. But like I say, I hate like, like La La Land. I literally turned off after the first like, I hated 10 La La seconds. Land. I literally was like, I cannot actually watch this. Uh, the minute someone like sprang into step, I was like, absolutely not. But <laughs> <laughs> Moulin Rouge is done just so like beautifully. And it's like, you know, the songs are recognisable songs. They're not weird you know, musical theatre songs that have been written just for that. It's it's a different vibe. Well, I I think you'd like it, actually. I think watch it. Also, it's just quite interesting. I really wanted to watch it this weekend and then I just completely forgot. It's a very fun film. Like, um, and, and and it's... Sad to see how manipulated he was by his manager, very on brand for straight up to look mm. at evil managers, um, which was very much the truth. Colin of what actually uh, happened, yeah, yeah, the Colonel, as they were called, um, as he was called, did very much like abuse him, his finances. Oh, poor yeah. Elvis. Yeah, but one thing I will say is that you watch that film thinking that Elvis was this like saint who was just like loved his mom and just wanted to perform and was amazing to all the black musicians that he took rock and roll from and was you know loved his wife and whatever was, was exploited by his manager when actually like he was problematic all, yes. himself as well like he married priscilla when she was 14 and he was 28 was like super controlling wouldn't like controlled what she wore what she spoke who she spoke to wouldn't let her, he would have all these girls that he would call best girls waiting for him at home who had to be like virgins and Ew. not speak to any other men meanwhile he was like fucking anything that moved on tour okay um yeah, and just, I think he was, like, not a very nice person. I keep thinking, oh, I bet it's, like, two and a half hours long. It's, like, two hours. Yeah. Can everyone stop making such long films, please? Even After Sun is, like, two hours, and I think it's two hours, isn't it? 
think so. Tell me about Jennifer Lawrence, who is making oh her Oh my God, yeah. So I read the, the best piece in BuzzFeed recently, actually. I didn't really know BuzzFeed did these big kind of juicy long reads. It's basically about the rise and fall of Jennifer Lawrence, who is obviously having a bit of a renaissance at the moment after a rather tricky time. I won't give you like all the information in the piece because I feel like you guys should all go away and just read it. It's fascinating stuff. But it like opens with her fall at the Oscars, which I think was 2013. You know, she like tripped up the stairs yes. and she won Best Actress. And it kind of sets this picture of her as this like really endearing, lovely young actress who was like beloved the world over because she had this like cool girl persona. And it was when the cool girl persona was hadn't been like kind of deconstructed yet. So it was around the time I think that like um, Gone Girl came out and that term was even yes. used. And she really embodied this like lack of restraint, this quirkiness, this relatability. She like put her middle finger up at Paps. She would like down champagne out the bottle at like the Oscars. You know, she kind of was like, I don't give a shit vibes. Yes. And everyone loved that. Um, but in recent years, obviously like the cool girl has kind of evolved into like the pick me girl, which is yes. absolutely not a compliment. Pick me girl basically exists in a similar way, but it's more about outwardly like denouncing typically like feminine behaviors to prove to prove that you're not like other girls so it's like to win the affection of men by being like i love watching football yeah all that jazz and it's basically the, the pick me girl kind of puts other women down in order to like get one up on them mm. so it's, i've definitely done stuff like that before being like oh i never like wear makeup and oh my god this person spends like one yeah especially when ready. you're younger i remember like sometimes yeah. pretending to be interested when the boys were playing like bloody pool at the snooker and stuff at the pub when we were at uni like why on earth i did that now i look back and i'm like why the hell did i bother to go to the pub when they were playing pool not interested in pool at all you know like those, yeah i think we all did it yeah yeah and girls i think you go out of it and you become empowered by other female friends and stuff yes. to like not please men but she in 2014 she fell over again at the oscars i don't know if you remember that oh my god did yeah. she so and, and basically everyone hated it everyone was like nope that absolutely cannot be an accident like public opinion completely shifted oh my god uh, everyone felt that it was like too labored um even though the first incident had like endeared her this one had the opposite effect and everyone was like just go away you're trying too hard you're trying to make everyone laugh you're trying to be cool and it was kind of like with the Hathaway haters as well, you know, Anne Hathaway's, like how everyone hates her for like trying too hard. It was Is this... that why they hate her? I love <laughs> Anne. I know, I've never really understand, understood the Hathaway hate, but yeah, people think she tries way too hard. The writer makes the point that when men get things wrong or do silly things, people do really do find it endearing, whereas yes. once women do it, it's like not okay. Yeah. So Tom Holland actually gets, uh, he always drops spoilers at press junkets to the point where now he'll have like all the like paternal like cast figures like being in the interviews with him to make sure that he doesn't like oh my God. drop any spoilers, but it's like become his thing and everyone finds it really cute and funny and everyone's like, what a silly, sweet young man, you know? Yeah, like... Jennifer Lawrence kind of everyone was like oh my god she's such an annoying tryhard so yeah but she had like still loads of films post then so she obviously had like X-Men and Passengers Mother yes which um, I loved Red Sparrow uh, but none of the films did that well, critically or commercially. And then on top of that, she had a really bad time when all the Harvey Weinstein stuff came out because she'd basically had quite a good relationship with Harvey Weinstein. Oh. She'd um, spoken about him in quite a positive way before had an interview. She? Like, i.e., like she'd said that she'd forgotten to give her, I'm doing like air quotes, her little rascal a shout out for the, her Oscar win and that he'd been like annoyed, but she'd apologized to him and now it was all fine. God, or, like slightly unfortunate that she called him a rascal as if she knew what was going on. I know because it was obviously right before it all came out and then basically it all came out and all the hate and like towards her was so palpable that like she actually has had to like acknowledge it in interviews and stuff but it was really unfortunate because the Harvey Weinstein piece basically she once all everything came out she said in an interview oh you know he was never like that with me he was occasionally an asshole but then I would like correct him and he wouldn't be and he was nothing but like paternal yeah so she was really shocked by all the allegations but unfortunately for her Weinstein's lawyers used that quote in the defense so that right. even more allied her with like him and being a oh kind of God, yeah and so everyone was a bit like and also bear in mind the backdrop of this as well is like um Trump you know, some people say in a way that Me Too was actually like a response even to Trump, but she's traditionally Republican voting. She didn't really jump out quickly enough. In in since she said that she had argument with her own family members about Trump, but she didn't say much politically then. And you know yeah, how, like with Taylor Swift as well, like that wasn't a good look for a lot of women, basically, no. specifically at the time. And 
yeah, she was just positioned very much like outside the sisterhood because also another actress in her case against Harvey Weinstein said that he had used, he'd bragged and said, I had sex with Jennifer Lawrence and now she's got an Oscar. Look at her. And so then that was in the public sphere as well. And she quickly went out to like deny it and be like, no, nothing happened, but the damage is kind of done. You know and she mean? was so young as well. She's only like... Yeah, she was like 21 when she yeah. got really famous. So yeah, it kind of was unfortunate. And then basically there was all of this backlash. She took a conscious step back from the public eye and only released like three films between 2017 and 2019 and then quietly married um, her art director husband. And then two years after that, she was like literally dark. So she's basically now kind of... Her comeback started with um, Don't Look Up. Yes. But she said she was like terrified on set to ever even like speak in case she would annoy one of the other actors. Oh my God. Um, I hate it when you feel annoyed. It's like one of the worst things to feel. So she's obviously become um, completely disconnected from who she is as a person. It's kind of what we've been talking about today and that she uh, couldn't stop couldn't I guess ascertain where like the celebrity version of herself and her real self like ended. Yeah. And I guess the the vibe that the writer kind of insinuates is that, you know, at the start when everything was doing really well for her of being that like clumsy swearing, I don't give a shit girl, she really like lent into it. Yeah. And so suddenly then she was like, oh, I have been hamming up these certain parts of my personality and who am I really? And that kind of classic identity yeah. crisis. Which is completely normal in your early 20s and mid 20s yeah. and late 20s. Like she said now that she's, so she's taken her husband's surname professionally, yeah. uh, other than professionally. And she said, because uh, Jennifer Lawrence is a name I've had since I was born, but they took it away from me at 21. Oh my God. Like as in like they, like the internet mm. trolls and like people that like meme her and all God, the imagine rest of having it. to grow up in the public eye. Like, of course you don't know who you are. Yeah, but she obviously kind of became like really like, um, she had a lot of self-loathing. Like she said to Vanity Fair, like I wasn't pumping out the quality that I should have. I just think everyone had gotten sick of me. I'd gotten sick of me. It just got to the point where I couldn't do anything right. And like... I do think there's a really like nefarious um, trope in that people have when, when they see women in too much i think people had it with lily james like oh she's just in everything why is she in everything yeah people get annoyed and that's what she said she found really awkward when she had to go and promote all these films yeah. that didn't do well it was like oh my god i'm back on the promo circuit talking again drawing more attention to myself giving all the haters more opportunity yeah. to like clip and social share and whatever anything that i could possibly do that would be conceived as annoying and so she just became like so self-conscious that she was really brash and just like that everyone hated her basically. So now she's apparently doing, part of it is that she does like a lot less promo. So for each big film, she'll do like one talk show, one big uh, like print piece and that's it. Interesting. So there's literally less content out there for her to like go wrong. I wonder apparently, how, because like with film studios, they, like you are forced to promote the film. Like, yeah. I wonder how she negotiated, that must, she must take a pay cut. Well, her big film that's coming out next is Causeway and that's made by her production company. Right. And it took like three years and it's her first film that she's made herself. Um, so What's it about? I actually have no idea. Sorry, that's very unprepped of me, but I did not look that up. Well, let me, I need to, I wanted to you look wanted to up her next, her next film. film. So and I will look up both. Yeah, you Kate, look that up and then I am going to make the point because I thought this was really interesting oh yeah. that public opinion as well shifted back in favour for her recently when she was pregnant. So it's like, Clearly not a coincidence. Like the public like women more when they like get married or have children. Because they're vulnerable and, yeah, and being there. She Earth. went onto a talk show with like a big pregnancy belly and that was kind of like part of her like return to grace. Oh my God, that well. is so fucked up. Yeah. I can so imagine why the People American would suddenly public. suddenly be kinder yeah. to her, yeah. Because she's finally. She's like an acceptable woman yes. instead of like a too much woman. That is fucked up. That's awful. Okay, Causeway is about a US soldier who experiences a traumatic brain injury during her tour in Afghanistan, which forces her to remain home sorry return home and then she struggles to return to her daily life yeah okay so i did think that film was about like hard hitting stuff because i say she's definitely um talked about how it took three three years and was the hardest film she's ever had to make so i assumed it was not the one that you mentioned to me causeway is out and has a very bad rotten tomatoes rating oh dear um well no not bad it's it's, oh causeway review uh two stars by peter bradshaw and the guardian bad all right so what's the third film Maybe the less said about that one, the better. <laughs> oh God, poor Jennifer Lawrence. Her comeback is just- Has already waned. Has already flopped. Okay, maybe it's not out in the UK though. So she's in this new film called No Hard Feelings, uh, where she plays a young woman, I think younger than 
her actual age, who is paid by concerned by concerned parents to essentially fuck their son because he's such a loser. I love that for a film concept. So basically, um, she has to go out of her way to essentially groom this 19 year old who doesn't drink and doesn't have any friends and has never got laid. And his parents are like, he's a freak. He needs to like have a normal experience. So please like date him, but like date him, date him as in like have sex with him. Is she meant to be an escort? No, I I don't, I actually, it's not clear in the trailer what her job is. (laughs) Why Um, her? Yeah. But um, the film has been criticised for promoting grooming. Oh, for God's sake. The trailer is really funny. There might be the classic trailer issue of all the jokes in the trailer and then the film's actually shit, but I'm hoping it's actually good. But... Oh, I'm excited to see that. What's it on? uh, I think it's coming out in cinemas in a month. Okay. But it's true. I did think whilst watching it, like, uh, you are basically grooming this boy and if the roles were reversed, that would be problematic. But it's yeah. okay because it's a boy and you're a girl. Sounds not a million miles off from the film we talked about recently. Um, good luck to you, Leah Grande. But just yes. with a different age bracket with Emma Thompson. That's true. Playing the older lady who gets the younger male escort. I watched it, by the way, in the end. Oh, what did you think? Boring. Boring? Oh, I loved it. Again, I'm you thought that. I mean, I know you mean it's all based in one room, yeah. But I loved him in it. One thing I would like to draw attention to is Cara Delevingne's comeback. Talking yes, of comebacks. we must talk about that. Also, I realised we both loved Planet Sex, her BBC series, and we never talked about it on the podcast. I never Apart saw it. Apart from when I talked about um, the bollock size thing to do with... Tamay Miller. Was it Tamay Miller? Yeah, I knew it was one of Shout our Shout out to May Miller, who's now UK Eurovision entry. Oh my God, I know. So Go, May. We were ahead of the curve getting her on the pod there the week before. We were. It worked out quite well, that. Yes, it did. Well done, May. Great well song. Well done, May. Uh, yes, you did talk about Apes Bollocks. Um, I haven't watched Planet Sex. <laughs> oh, you've got to watch it. It's actually really, really, really good. Yes, I've heard it's really, really good. good. Yeah. For people that don't know, quick, quick. So it's like a five part documentary all about sex, gender, nature versus nurture, you know, like all those kind of topics, a taboo sexual practices. Does Cara talk about her own sex life? Yes, a lot, which is really interesting. So the episode about, um, being gay, she's talks a lot about her own personal experience of like navigating a queer identity and all the-, the Is intern- she gay, not bi? She's bi and she had a lot of internal, well, so she's bi, but, and again, I'm very much speaking for her. So sorry if this is a little bit um, presumptuous of me, but the vibe that I would say that you get is that she's partly always um, self-identified as bi because of so much internalized homophobia. Right. It was just gay. part of it was like uh, not grappling with her true- sexual identity i don't know so she might be more gay than bi. i think so that's definitely what i was getting so she's getting only had girlfriends female partners in the yeah. last few years and i think a lot of the male partners that she has had it's partly been just because of like societal expectations or right. like when she was a teenager or you know yeah. that's kind of the vibe that she gives and there's really interesting stuff in terms of actually genetic science around all of these topics whether that is like um promiscuity or sexual orientation i have obviously it's been months now since i watched it so i don't really want to like pull out any of the like particular stats in case i butcher them but i highly recommend and the one on polyamory is really good yeah it just covers all those topics those juicy sex i would say that that directly inspired your very fruity question to our podcast guests of do you believe in monogamy I think that new yes, question... Yes, it, it probably did, actually, I think yeah. It inspired I probably it. watched it right around that time. Yes, and now we always ask everyone. Anyway, she... So for anyone that doesn't know, Cara Delevingne has been having an unravelling, as she described. So in September, she was seen papped um, on the runway, refused entry to Jay-Z's private jet. Um, we don't know where she was going, but essentially she was too fucked up. Do you mean those pictures when she was, like, barefoot and smoking yeah. and looked a bit like... And um, everyone thought she was troubled. on meth. Yeah. Mm. Um, and then, then she was at the VMAs and was behaving incredibly weirdly to Megan Thee Stallion, like being essentially creepy. Like if a man had been, um, kind of obsessing over Meg in the same way, I think it would have been seen as harassment. out by security. It was really uncomfortable to watch. Anyway, and there have been definitely like rumors in the press circles that like she is not well and everyone has been very concerned about her. Um, but she went to rehab at the end of last year and has been sober for four months now, she told. It's a new interview, I think, for Vogue that came out last week. Um, and I, she looked amazing and healthy. And I think yeah. she is just like clearly, like she looks so much healthier than she has in so long. Yeah, she does. 
and actually less skinny. And I mean that in a way of like, I think in some of the pictures, like you say, she looked yes. a little bit unwell, like she hadn't been taking care of herself. Whereas I thought she looked so strong and powerful and confident on the red carpet. Well, clearly if she was, I mean, the way she talks about drugs, they were clearly uppers rather than downers. So mm. like, you probably just aren't eating. Mm. Um, but she says that she's been doing psychodrama. Interesting. Which is a kind of therapy um, where you reenact situations with your therapist yeah. which sounds intense but very it's been really helpful so very happy for um Cara Delevingne also yeah for Cara I didn't realize that apparently she's like best friends with Margot Robbie and Phoebe Waterbridge oh really I didn't know that I was a little crew I did not know that was a crew either she said they were really helpful in getting her back on track oh that's so cute and that they're like some of her oldest friends because they used to party together in London Poppy Delevingne her sister has a new love interest as well after she got divorced, divorced. yeah What's he Can't like? remember his name. I don't know. I saw a pap shot recently and I meant to um to write it down, but I think they were like trotting through like Notting Hill or somewhere. Trotting. Yeah. Our favourite word. Oh my god, okay. I need to tell you about my fave new little Notting Hill bar that I went <gasps> yes, to when you were in me. America. Um it is this really cute new spot in Notting Hill, right by Notting Hill Gate Station. It's underground, it's called Viajante 87, and it's basically this little subterranean like Mexican meets Japanese vibe. Mm. Obviously amazing margaritas. My, me and my friend Mills went because we'd been to the sister restaurant. So there's this restaurant. Again, I don't know if you've been there. It's in Notting Hill. It's called Los Mockies. It's like really well known now. It's really oh. popular because the food is amazing. It's yeah. like, again, this kind of Mexican-Japanese fusion. So it's like sushi meets tacos. Done like to perfection. Yes. Done really, really, really well. Really um, like sleek really good flavors anyway we were like okay we should go check out their new bar and wow yeah it's like so it's it's exactly the kind of spot that you would want to go either with like a group of girls or a date night like very similar vibes to soma do you know what i mean like that yes. kind of dark but like silvery almost mm. like and the drinks were so nice and it was just fun to do something that was like very much Meg's Cal and tequila based like most of the drinks are yeah but with like slightly different twists because obviously we are classic spicy margs orderers yes, usually so as much as I did of course try a classic it was also fun just to like have some slightly different drinks I mean there was a really good one that was like a crowd pleaser that was actually a vodka base that was like called Lana Interlum that was like a strawberry and lemongrass no it was tequila it was tequila strawberry lemongrass so banging um, but the much more experimental one I had, uh, it was called the Sleeping Chikatanas, because basically I mentioned to the bartender that I was that I'm going to Mexico, yeah. and so I was like, oh, like what's the kind of vibe? Like what's the closest to a cocktail that I might get when I'm in like Oaxaca or something? And so he was like, no, you have to have this Sleeping Chikatanas, which had like it was kind of an orange drink. You know how you guys. Do, the, do it here. I say here, meaning in your house. You know when you make those big ice cubes? <laughs> ice cubes. Oh, yes, the, yes, yes. So it had like one really big ice cube in it. And on the top of that ice cube was like a load of like crushed, like smoked ants. That makes you feel but sick. But apparently they're very popular in Mexico. It's like a really popular Very snack. nutritious, aren't they? Yeah. And obviously um, bugs are like a really big thing all the rest, all over the rest of the world outside of like the West. Like when I have been traveling in Asia and stuff, like it's obviously really common for people to eat bugs. We're just a bit squeamish about it. And it was actually really tasty. Like it literally tasted like, uh, like it had like the smoky taste. Like it went with the mezcal vibe. All this is not to say that it's like a particularly experimental bar. It's actually not. It's like, you know, a very good time for like anyone, you know, like, as I say, you could go with your friends, go with a date, go with your mom. You can get your cocktail with the jalapeno if you would Oh, rather. yeah, yeah, yeah. They do all the classics, <laughs> like, really nicely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They And they actually had this really nice one um, that my friend had. It was, like, obviously inspired by, like, salsa. Oh, so God. it was, like... I um, hate salsa. Coriander. Do you like coriander? Do you hate coriander? I know I do. You do. I do as well. And, yeah, it was coriander, like, distilled tomato juice and, like, tequila or something. And do you like a Bloody Mary? I do not. I hate a Bloody Mary. No, sorry. That, that is consistent with your hatred. Yeah, I just thought it yeah. might be a weird quirk. Oh, God. When you... I used to work in a pub, like opening the tomato juice oh, was enough oh, to I hate... send me sideways. To be honest, I don't even like working with passata. <laughs> <laughs> that made me sound quite professional. It actually did. And I know exactly <laughs> what you mean, which is like, why that's so funny. Uh, it's definitely, they are close bedfellows, tomato juice and passata. Right. They both made the tomatoes. Um, but anyway, I can't recommend that enough. Via Hante 87. They also have really good bar snacks. As I say, like Lost Mockies. Do go and check out Lost Mockies as well, because that's just such a good one. Yes, great bar snacks. We had like some really, really yummy, just the classics, you know, like tortillas with guacamole, but then also like really nice. They want to say it was like lobster or something that was within do you like lobster? Like a little taco. Yeah, I do. Yummy. That's I hate lobster. 
Do you? Oh yeah, well you and your your, your and shellfish. You don't even like prawns actually, no. so of course you wouldn't like lobster. It's our one point yes. of difference on a menu. It is. Well, right. On that note, I highly recommend you go and check it out, Els and listeners, especially if you're West London based or you're just in the area. I don't go to West London enough. Okay. So okay, Hans. to finish, I am very quickly going to share a song recommendation with everyone. Oh my god! I mean, I'm late to the party. I imagine I've mentioned it. it two weeks ago, but I just forgot. Uh, another May from Universal. May Stevens. Have you heard of her? It's like the latest kind of TikTok success story no. musician. Her song. It's called If We Ever Broke Up. And basically, May Stevens literally was stacking shelves in her local supermarket about six weeks ago. And now she's in it. Radio One kind of made the hottest viral tune. Gosh. She, yeah, exploded on TikTok. She's released it. I just love it. It's really vibey. It's Is got it like pop? really fun synths. It's like. Da, 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 da. Well, no, that literally doesn't sound anything like it. Sorry, that sounded like flipping. That sounds like, like an like, architecture da, 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 program da, 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 or something. Yeah. It's like. If we ever broke up, we'll call your dad. You are really putting everyone off. Broke up. Yeah, I know. Sorry. That Don't take fun. her word for it. Do you Don't. just go and listen to it for yourselves? It's a banger. And I know you'll all love it. <laughs> so enjoy. Talking of bangers, um, Miley Cyrus's album is so good. <gasps> oh my God. River. I really like River. I, I think that's the James Blake produced one. Is it? I think she worked with him. That's a fun fact. I know. Well, some great listening for your weekend. Also, um, the Kali Uchis album, Moonlight. Oh, I love her. She's so great. She's so sexy. She's so great. Actually, I don't know what she looks like. I she interviewed her sexy. once in person in King's Cross in the pub and she ordered a glass of champagne. How iconic. Oh my God. Literally iconic. You know, usually when you... And, and I think the PR had suggested the meeting point. It was one of those... It's like the kind of glass-fronted pub that's on the corner in Granary Square. Yes. And I obviously expected her to just have water or a tea or a coffee or something like that. She went in and ordered a glass of champagne. Did you like, then order one? I can't remember what I had, you know, which is really annoying of me. But I literally, I mean, I surely would have joined her unless I was worried Isn't that it, it was really annoying too sassy. When you go to something and then they ask you what to drink first and because you're scared to say something like wild, you're like, oh, I'll just have water. And then they choose something really nice and then yeah. you can't look like a wetter and backtrack. Yeah, just like I told you when I interviewed Bannerboy at Sketch and he had a pina colada. And you had a water. Yeah. Sad. Love a pina colada. Which you should only ever make with coconut milk, not juice. Um, okay, so on that note, goodbye. Send this episode to a friend. Oh yes, Our you usual, must. What we would even this call is it? Not Our a usual drill. stomping march. Yep. Stomping march. What? Uh, I don't know. Our usual. Yeah. Call to prayer. Our call to yeah. arms. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Our call to prayer. Please do. Our great review and subscribe and do it. Let you us know fuckers. what you'd like to chat about next time. Love you. Bye. See you soon.